You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be. Continuing to study through the book of Ephesians. This morning we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22. And here Paul is dealing with the division that existed in the early church between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I don't think we can comprehend or even really understand the, the type of division that existed between them. And we can understand racial tension uh, that exists even to this day, but this was uh, something that goes beyond any, anything uh, that we could even understand. The Jews believed that the Gentiles were simply created as a means to stoke the fires of hell. In fact, it was unlawful for a Jew to help a Gentile woman in childbirth because it would be aiding and bringing another heathen into the world. That's how deep, that's how um, rooted this sort of racism uh, was. It was was very spiritual, it was very religious, it was a part of the very fabric of their society. And the, the Jews were God's chosen people. You remember that God told Abram in Genesis chapter 12 to leave his homeland and that he was going to make him a powerful and prosperous and blessed nation. And of course, that promise was ratified in Genesis 15 through what is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And later, Abram would become Abraham and he would become the man through whom God would start this nation known as Israel, the Jewish people. Before that, there was not a nation. It wasn't as if they started and and just sort of slowly grew, it was one man that God chose, and He plucked him out of, actually, ironically, the nation of Babylon. And He said, here, I'm going to pluck you out of here, I'm going to plant you over here, and through you, I'm going to make a special people that will be My people. And of course, this this promise was realized through Abraham's son, Isaac. And and so as a result of, of their sort of special beginnings... And in the fact that they were chosen by God, they they had this superiority. They, they had this idea that that they were better than everyone else. And Gentiles were everyone other than a Jew. And so if you weren't a Jew, then you were a Gentile, and you were less than them. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and now everyone is saved through Him, and and not through an adherence to any sort of religious system or or to a a way of doing things. And the Jewish Christians, which were many, you remember that the first Christians were Jews. There in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, they were Jewish people. They were there to celebrate Pentecost. God came upon them powerfully. And the first Christians, the first church, 3,000 people, they were Jews. And and they began to then tell their friends, and their friends told their friends. and, And pretty soon there's a large group of Jewish people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. But they were still holding on to, many of these people were still holding on to the legalistic requirements of the law. What they would eat, what they would drink, that they needed to be circumcised. And and much of the New Testament is dedicated to Paul trying to debunk that notion. Much of the New Testament, just as we studied in Galatians, is Paul trying to free those people from the bondage of the law, trying to help them to understand that in Christ 
we have everything that we need. We don't need to, to pursue any of the legalistic requirements that they once pursued. And so you have these Jewish Christians, though, putting these burdens and these requirements upon the Gentile believers. And that's exactly what was happening in Galatia. As Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, it was Jewish Christians putting their legalistic requirements upon Gentile Christians. And because of that, there began sort of a division between, in a sort of a contention between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians as they were heaping these obligations upon them. And so Paul is really writing with that in mind as he talks about the fact that we are all one in Christ. And the theme of this passage is reconciliation. And reconciliation is the reestablishment of two things that were at one time opposed to one another. Maybe a marriage is reconciled as the two people were at odds. They were not getting along and then they, they reconciled. Or maybe a, a, a child and a parent reconcile a relationship. Or maybe a nation and another nation that were at war reconcile it. It's to bring peace. And we were opposed to God. We were, in fact, the Bible says, enemies of God. We need to understand that. That if you don't know Jesus, you're an enemy of God. There's no neutral ground. You're either for Him or against Him, Jesus said. You can't ride the fence. And when people say, well, I have a belief in Jesus or I'm sort of working my way there, they don't understand that they are, in fact, an enemy of God. There's, there's no sort of working your way and, and now I'm kind of in the middle somewhere. You're either for God or you're against Him. You're either His child or you're His enemy. And maybe you've heard people say, well, we're all children of God. That sounds good and it, it makes for a good title of a book or something, but it's not biblical. We're all created by God, but we're not all children of God. Because as John says in John chapter 1, that we have to come through Christ, by putting our belief in Christ in order to be a child of God. We're created by Him, but we're not His child. We're actually His enemy unless we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And so the theme of this passage is just that, of reconciliation of the fact that we were at one time an enemy of God, but now we have peace with God through Christ. And we have opportunity to have relationship with him. And so as we make our way through this text, we're going to take note of four points. First, our past, then our position, our peace, and then our purpose. And so let's read our text and then we'll look at those things. Starting in verse 11, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments 
contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were once far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us, God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we want you to change us. Lord, we want to be drawn closer to you than ever before. Make these things real to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing that we see is our past. In fact, Paul in verses 11 and 12 lists for us five things that we were. First of all, he talks about there in verse 11 that we were once Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. And that was the the big line of division was those that were circumcised and, and those that were uncircumcised. And Paul is again reiterating this point that circumcision means nothing. It was a sign of the fact that Jesus would come and He would take care of this sinful flesh. You see, there was a cutting away of the flesh through circumcision and that was simply a sign that Jesus would come and He would. He would take on human flesh and He would give us His righteousness as He took sin upon Himself. That's what the the symbol was. That we need to get rid of this flesh, but that could only take place through Christ. And they, they got that all mixed up and they thought it was, you know, this this really important thing that you're circumcised, which it was at the time, but it was a symbol. And that symbol was a shadow. And once the substance came, there was no need for the shadow. But they were holding on to that. And Paul says, look, you've been called the uncircumcision by the circumcision, but that was in the flesh. It was made in the flesh with human hands. There's something that that only God can do, though. That's the important thing. And he's going to go on to talk about that. That the thing that man can do, that's not so important. But the thing that God can do with divine hands, that's what we need to focus on. And then he tells us the things that we were. He says that at that time, you were without Christ. That's the first thing that we were apart from Christ. We were without Christ. It's pretty simple to understand. But the thing is, is that Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And so without Christ... We were nothing. We thought we were something. We thought we were doing a lot. We were very busy. We maybe were accomplishing a lot of things. But apart from Christ, we have and we are nothing. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Aliens separate from God. He says that we were strangers from the covenants of peace. These covenants that God had handed down. The Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 15. Then there's the Mosaic covenant. The law. There was the Davidic covenant, which was the promise of the Messiah. 
There, of course, is the new covenant that Jesus said is in his blood. And all of these covenants we were not a part of because we were apart from Christ. We were strangers. We were aliens. We were separated from God. You see, our sin created a chasm. And on one side of the chasm was was us. On the other side of the chasm was God. And this chasm was impossible for us to get across. It wasn't like you could work hard enough. It wasn't like it was possible but very difficult. It was impossible. You were separated from God. And so is everyone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. That family member, that loved one, that friend, that co-worker. If they don't know Jesus, they are separated from God. And they have, as it says here, no hope. They have no hope. Not little bit, not some, but no hope. They have absolutely no hope. And see, we place our hope in a lot of things. We place our hope in, in our future, our, our retirement. You know, and if we've got a big 401k or, or some kind of an IRA or something that we're really looking forward to, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a, a Winnebago and I'm going to drive around the USA and I'm going to live the dream. You know, I'm going to go park it at the Redmond Fairgrounds and, and boy, isn't that going to be fun, you know. And that's what people are placing their hope in as if that's just the life. I'm going to get myself a little dog and, and then in the summer we're going to, you know, we're going to live in, in a nice kind of, you know, not so hot climate in the winter. We're going to live in, the, in Arizona and we're going to get old with everybody else and then we're going to die. And that just sounds like a nightmare to me, but that's what people place their hope in, as if that's something to really look forward to. Or people place their hope in, in their kids, in their future. They pour all of their energy and all of their effort into their kids, and man, my kid's going to be, you know, a singer, or my kid's going to be an athlete, or my kid's going to be the president. And, and man, we're just placing all of our hope in that. Whatever that people place their hope in, but the fact is is that they have no hope because all of those things are going to come to an end. All of the money, all of the riches, all of the fame, all of the success in this life will one day come to an end. And if we don't have Christ, then we spend eternity separated from God. We spend eternity living under the punishment, under the wrath of God. And there's no hope in that. And the thing is, though, that I think as believers, it's very easy for us to understand that, to believe that, to say, yes, I believe that there's no hope beyond Jesus Christ, and I'm placing my hope in Him. And, and we, we understand that. But then, you know, we're saved for a little while, and, and we get into the routine of life, and, and we're pursuing a career, or we're, we're pursuing our uh, children's success, or we're pursuing retirement, or whatever it is, and, and we begin to place our hope in those things. And if somebody was to take those things from us, all of a sudden, our life would fall apart. You remember Job? And in one day, in a matter of hours, everything he had was taken from him. Now place yourself in Job's shoes. What would that do to you? If you're honest with yourself right now, what would that do to you? What would that do to you if everything was taken away? You know, maybe if you worked for a company like Enron and all of a sudden your retirement is gone. It's, it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. All of a sudden, 
the kids that you placed all of your hope and all of your dreams that you wanted to achieve, now you're putting upon them, and now all of a sudden your kid is not such a good kid, and maybe they made some really poor decisions, and maybe that kid ends up in jail, or maybe they're strung out on drugs, or, or maybe they're just you know not the person that you wanted them to be, or they don't achieve this level of success that you wanted them to have, or, or maybe you know the things that, that you're putting so much of your hope into are in one day just stripped from you, your health relationships, your career. It's just pulled right out from under you. How would you respond to that? How would I respond to that? I think we need to ask ourselves that because if we would allow that to devastate us, to destroy us, to throw us off, then we're placing our hope in the wrong things. And you know what? We all see it. We see it in ourselves. We see it in other people. Because especially as Western believers, as Americans, we are spoiled. And I mean, we have one thing that goes wrong and we're complaining about it. Whereas, you know, believers over in China or, or somewhere like the Sudan who are running for their lives on a daily basis, who are being shot, who are being hung, who are being tortured for their faith, you know, they're not so worried about 401Ks or, you know, if their son's going to be a professional baseball player. That's really not their focus. Their focus is, man... I want to live for Jesus today because I may not have life tomorrow. That's all that matters. Where's our hope? What are we placing our hope in? Because without Christ, we have no hope. And so all of those things, you guys, they are hopeless. They are meaningless. Now, yeah, we need to, to make a living and, and you need to love your kids. And, and if you have the opportunity to put some money in the bank for retirement or have a 401k, hey, do it. But don't put your hope in those things. Don't get so wrapped up in it. Don't have such a tight, firm grip upon it because you may not have it tomorrow. Like Job, it might be stripped from you. Because you guys, you need to understand, and I need to understand, that we aren't called to be successful in this life. That we aren't called to have an easy life. That our calling as believers, in fact, is to glorify God. And the way that we do that oftentimes is through suffering. Paul said in Colossians 1.24 that he rejoiced in what he was going through. He was in jail. He was in prison. He was being beaten at that time. He said, I rejoice in that and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of His body, the church. We, we are filling up in our flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, not that there was something lacking in the cross, but what Paul meant by that was where Jesus ended, we take it. He handed us the baton. He said, okay, here's my legacy, the legacy of suffering. Sounds great, doesn't it? Which might, in a sense, change the way that we present the gospel, maybe just a little bit, because this whole health and wealth, just come to Jesus and He'll make your life perfect, that's not biblical. Jesus said that if you want to follow Me, you will suffer. You will suffer. Now, thankfully, we're not being shot at here in America. We're not being hung. We can go out and we can share the gospel with people on the streets. We can do things like Sunfest in the park. We can come here together and worship the Lord right in the middle of a city in the United States. So we're not having to worry about dying for our faith. But maybe you're going to suffer in other ways. Maybe you're going to suffer physically. Maybe you're going to suffer relationally. Maybe you're going to suffer financially. And if you're going through suffering, you guys, know this. It's part and parcel to being a believer in Jesus Christ. It's who we are. 
Believers in Jesus Christ have suffered from the very beginning. But as Americans, we think we're different. We think, hey, I live in America. I don't have to suffer. Wrong. God will find a way to bring those kinds of trials and troubles into your life to make you more like Him. That's what it's all about. Because one day, you guys, we're going to stand before Him and we're never going to suffer again. But in the meantime, there's preparation. And so we aren't called to live an easy life. It's not part of the package. Now, if you have an easy life and if things are going well, praise the Lord. But know this, that carpet might be pulled out from under you. And how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond like Job's wife, curse God and die? God must hate you? Or are you going to respond like Job? Hey, he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they are without God in the world, he says, which is very similar to being without Christ. And so there's five things that were part of our past. Five things that are a bleak picture. But now, he says, in verse 13. And in verse 13, we see our position. Our past was a bleak picture. It wasn't good. We were without Christ. We were without hope. We were separated from God. We were headed straight to hell. But now, our position in Christ. And you guys, that's what Ephesians is all about, is your position in Christ. You need to understand who you are in Christ. You know, a lot of times, people want to find out their family tree, their genealogy. They want to find out who they are. You know what? That's cool. But what's really important is who we are in Christ. Hey, my great-great-grandpa was, uh, you know, a multi-millionaire, an oil guy or something. whoop he do You know, supposedly I, I've been told I'm related to Gene Autry. It doesn't do me a lot of good, you know. I'm not a cowboy, and, um, and I, I haven't seen one dime of his money. So it doesn't do me any good. But I am in Christ, and that's what is important, is who we are in Christ. But now, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's an awesome verse. You were once separated from God. You were once an enemy of God. You were once without hope. But now you've been reconciled. That relationship has been reestablished. We were once far off, but now we are drawn close to God and we're given access to God, as he says in verse 18. And we have the opportunity to have a real relationship with the Creator of the universe. A real relationship with God through Christ. We've been reconciled. That's our position. Paul says we have been brought near. Been brought near to God. James, in James chapter 4, says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And here's the, the application I want you guys to to think about. We are as close to Jesus as we want to be. You see, Jesus has done everything possible to give you a relationship with Him. Everything that He could do, He's done. We have everything we need for a life of godliness, right? 2 Peter 1, verse 3. Everything. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 3. That's the theme of this book. Your position in Christ. Jesus has done everything for you. And now, you need to draw near to God. It's a choice that that you make, that I make on a daily basis. We are as close to Jesus as we want to be because He's done everything He can. There's nothing lacking on His end. Now it's up to us. And if we're not close to Him, we need look no further than ourselves. Now we can make excuses. And we can say, I'm busy. Oh, my kids are just consuming me, uh, my job. 
college, whatever. We can, we can make all kinds of excuses. Sometimes maybe it's even sin. Well, I'm just, I'm not doing that well and I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, having struggles. And, and so I feel separated from God. Well, that's not an excuse either. Because John tells us in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, He forgives us. And so we can't use that as an excuse for being separated from God and not being close to Him. We are as close to Jesus as we want to be. All excuses aside, that's the bottom line. And we have to be honest with ourselves and say, am I close to God? Is He number one in my life? Am I experiencing that intimate relationship with Him? And see, we like to make excuses and we accept those excuses from each other because then we get to use the same ones. And so when people say, oh man, I've just been really busy and that's why I haven't been at church and that's why I haven't been reading the Bible and that's why I haven't been serving and that's why I'm not doing anything to pursue God. I've just been really busy. And we like that excuse because then later I can say the same thing. Oh man, I've just been really busy. But the fact is, is that you are busy doing things that aren't drawing you closer to Him and that are of really zero interest to Him. And so it's just an excuse And so if we aren't close to Jesus, it's because we don't want to be. That is the bottom line. If today I look at my life and I say, man, I don't feel close to God. I don't feel like that relationship with Him is what it should be, what it could be. I'm not in His Word. I'm not spending time talking to Him. I'm not serving Him. He's not the passionate pursuit of my life. And so then we start to think, well, why is that? Well, you know, it was my childhood, or it's my job, or it's my kids, or it's this, or it's that. And the fact is, is that we need to stop all of that, and we need to say, no, I'm not close to Him because I don't want to be. It's the bottom line. I just don't want it. If I did, then I would be. And so today, if you want to be close to Jesus, if that is what is on your heart, man, make that decision today in your heart that you're going to draw close to Him. No more excuses you're going to draw close to Him because the Bible promises that He will draw close to you. We've been given the opportunity through Christ. Those who were once far off have been brought near. Are we near to the Lord? Are we experiencing Jesus the way that we should be? A third thing is our peace. We've seen our past. We've seen our position. third thing is our peace. Verses 14 to 18. And I love the first part of verse 14. For He Himself is our peace. He Himself is our peace. Jesus didn't contract this out to one of the angels. You know, hey Gabriel, bad news. Uh, You're going to go and you're going to be crucified. And it's not going to be fun, but you know, I'll be here and, and I'll be your backup. No, Jesus took it upon Himself. He Himself is our peace. He took the wrath of God upon Himself. He stepped in the middle so that He could bridge the gap between God and man. He Himself is our peace. People talk a lot about peace. There's the peace sign. Peace. I don't know what that really does, but it's, it looks cool. Or, or the other thing that people draw, you know, and maybe not as much today, but back in the 60s, you know. Peace, brother. And it's kind of becoming popular now as the, the war in Iraq becomes more and more unpopular. Peace. Just We need peace on the earth. And that's like the most ridiculous thing in the world because who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? But we don't invite them to fly planes into our buildings so that we can go to war with them. We don't ask them to you know, kill people around the world so that we have to go and, and defend the, the weak. It, it just happens. 
And of course we want peace. There are peace rallies. Just go to Portland for a day and you'll, you'll see some. There's the Nobel Peace Prize. I don't even know who wins that, but people win it. I don't know what they do, but more than likely it's not much. But none of these things really bring peace. I mean, I love you too. I like you too. Bono's a great guy. He's doing all kinds of stuff, feeding the world. But you know what? What is it really accomplishing in the grand scheme of things? Jesus is the one that brings peace. He and He alone. He took the punishment for our sin. And He brought right relationship with God. True peace, you guys, takes place in our hearts. We can go and we can drop off pallets of food all around the world. And I think that's a great thing to do. And we can hold peace rallies. And if that's something that you know floats somebody's boat, then great. And we can hold up the peace sign all day long. But it doesn't bring peace where it really matters. It's in our heart. And it's between us and God. He Himself is our peace. And there's two types of peace. There's peace with God and there's the peace of God. And when we have peace with God, which is when we place our faith in Jesus and we say, man, I am hopeless, I am going to hell, I need Jesus, and we give our life to Him, then we have peace with with God. But then there's the peace of God, which is something that comes and goes depending on our circumstances, depending on spending time with Him, depending on where we're at. And the peace of God, man, it'll flood your heart, and then the next hour... You're just freaked out about something. And then the Bible says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. And so we constantly give it to the Lord, and He gives us His peace. And so there's the peace with God, which we have. It's a position we have in Christ. But then there's the peace of God, and we need that on a daily basis. But both of those things are available to us in Christ. He's our peace. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one. And of course, he's speaking of Jew and Gentile. But that doesn't hold a lot of relevance to us as believers here in the year 2007. I don't know how many you know Jews there are in, in Prineville or Crook County. I would think not many. And this isn't real relevant to us. And so I want to apply it maybe in a little bit different way as he talks about the fact that the middle wall of separation has been abolished. Because of what he did, you remember that Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And at that point, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. It was torn. And now the veil of the temple was about 18 inches thick. So you don't just go and tear that like a piece of paper. It's not real easy. It was torn just like that. And what that symbolizes is that everyone, Jew, Gentile alike, could enter into the presence of God. That veil represented that access to God was was broken. Access to God was impossible except for the high priest once a year. And he had to go through all kinds of rituals to make that happen. But now in Christ, we can go into the presence of God at any time. That middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile had been abolished. The law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And so... This, this middle wall of separation was, was really the, the law and the commandments, these things that they were saying you needed to do. And Jesus fulfilled all of that, that He might reconcile both of them to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. 
that existed between man and God, that existed between Jew and Gentile, that was put to death. And he came and he preached peace to us. He came and said, if you want peace, if you want peace where it really matters, then you need to accept me. You need to understand that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He preached peace to us who were afar off and to those who were near. And what he's saying there is Gentiles who were far from God and Jews who were close to God. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. And so he's speaking of Jew and Gentile relationship. But here's the thing. In our life, we have divisions, schisms with people. And maybe you have long-standing divisions and schisms with people. Just like the Jews and the Gentiles were divided, and, and Paul is telling them that that shouldn't be, I think the application for us is that if there are divisions in relationships in your life, they shouldn't be there. If you have bitterness in your heart, it shouldn't be there. You shouldn't have ill feelings toward anyone. Because that middle wall, that, that wall of separation that is dividing you from whoever that is, it's been broken down. You remember when the Israelites left Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, and I mean, it was awesome. The Red Sea parted, they walked on dry ground, and then a couple days into it, it wasn't so awesome anymore because now they're in the desert and there's no water. There's no water whatsoever. And they begin to complain, hey, hey Moses, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we haven't had any water in like three days. It's kind of a problem. And they come to a place called Mara. And Mara had all kinds of water. This is great, except the water was bitter. It was poisonous. So that almost makes it worse, right? Be kind of like if you're starving to death and then there's all this food set out before you, but you're not allowed to eat any of it because it'll kill you. I mean, be kind of, it, make, it makes it worse. You wish it wasn't there. And they're standing in front of all this water, but they can't drink it because it's poisonous, it's bitter. And then God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to take that tree and I want you to throw the tree into the water and it will heal the waters. That sounds ridiculous. Why not just heal the waters? What's with the tree? What's with the whole thing there? God was, was creating a symbol. Of course, Jesus died on a tree. And He was telling us through that story that if you have bitter areas of your life, if you have areas of your life that are divisive, that are bitter, that are poisonous, that you need to apply the cross. Whatever that is in your life, Whatever relationship, whatever person that you have bitterness toward or that you're divided against, you need to go to the cross. And see, when we go to the cross, we can't be bitter. We can't have division. Because we see Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. To the same guys that just pulled his beard out of his face, that just whipped him, that beat him, that mocked him, that spit on him, and now Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's insane. That's amazing. That's awesome. We see Jesus turning to one of the thieves on the cross and saying, Hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. What? You know what I would have said to that thief? Hey, just an hour ago, you were making fun of me, buddy. Why don't you rot in hell? That's what I'd want to say to him. Just an hour ago when everybody was there and the other guy was making fun, you joined in on it. But now you realize that I'm the Son of God. Now you've had a change of heart. Well, good for you. But it's a little late now. That's probably what we would say. 
But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, today, assuredly, you'll be with me in paradise. There wasn't any like, hey, do you remember what you just said a little while ago? That really hurt my feelings, and, and I don't really appreciate that. You know, Do you see what I'm going through? I'm dying for the sins of the world here. There was none of that. Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. You guys, if there's bitter areas of your life, if there are walls of division in your life, you need to apply the cross to those. And you need to allow Jesus to bring forgiveness, to bring healing, to make those bitter waters sweet once again. What's coming out of your life? What's coming out of my life? Is it a lot of bitterness? Is it a lot of anger? Is it a lot of resentment? Hey, we, we all have things that we can be bitter about, and, and you probably have more than me. And you got things in your past, you got things that are going on right now, and it's creating maybe some, some bitterness in your heart. And it's coming out and it's spilling upon your wife or your husband or your kids or your co-workers or people at church. And you need to apply the cross. Let's look at the last thing, our purpose, verses 19 through 22. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. No longer are we separated from God, but now we are saints, members of the household of God. This is part of the reason why we don't have a a membership program here at Calvary Chapel. Because I really believe that to be a member of the household of God is something that we, we do when we come to know Christ. And that we are a body of believers here locally, but really the body of Christ is, is every believer on the earth. And we're not members of a particular church. We're members of the body of Christ. And I understand why churches have membership, and, and I, I'm not necessarily uh, against it. I just don't think it's necessary, and that's why we don't do it. it we're members of, of the body through Jesus Christ. We're one body. We're members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And so those apostles and early believers, they were the foundation. It's an important part of a building, right? But the chief cornerstone, that is the stone of the building that if you removed it, it would fall apart. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the best thing about us. And Jesus ought to be the focus of our life, the focus of our church. It's really sad when you see people who claim to be Christians, and yet the focus of their life isn't Jesus. He's not really the chief cornerstone of their life. Or a church where the focus is not Jesus. The focus is programs or entertainment. The focus isn't Jesus. And man, the focus has got to be Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. And as the chief cornerstone, He's our chief pursuit. He should be all that we desire. In whom the building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And here's our purpose. You can picture that that each believer is like a, a brick being placed into a wall. Kind of reminds me of uh, Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall. You know, I don't, sorry. But each each person is like a brick placed into the wall. That's what Paul is saying there. And, and we're growing together. We're growing together, he says. We're not growing separately. We're not like our own little person over here, and I do my thing and you do your thing. We're, we're one body. 
We're one building. And we have our, our place and we have our purpose. But ultimately, our purpose is to be a grand temple of God that people can look at and they can see, wow, that's awesome. Look at what, what God can do with a bunch of just broken, busted pieces. And that's what a mosaic is. A mosaic is a lot of crushed and broken tiles placed into one thing and it looks really cool. But one mosaic isn't really that special. One little piece of tile. It's when they all are placed together. And see, that's our purpose, you guys, is to be built into a temple of God so that people can look and they can see the Lord. And it's a holy temple, which means set apart, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place. Our purpose on this earth is to glorify God. That is our purpose. We are His temple. We are His dwelling place. And the way that we glorify God is by making Jesus known to this world. That's how we glorify God. That's our purpose. When people see Him in us, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. We're being built up into that. And back in the time of the real temple, people would walk by it and they would know that's where God resides. That's where He takes up residence on this earth. Of course, He was much bigger than that. But that's where he chose to reside. That's where they would meet with God. That's where they could talk with God. And that's how they related to God. But now we have Jesus Christ in our hearts. And do people know that? Are people aware of that? Do they see him? They were very aware of where God resided back then. They walked by and there's the temple. And that's where God's at. That's where you relate to God. Do people see him in us? Are they acquainted with the fact that Jesus Christ resides in your heart? Is that what they see. Do they see you as a holy temple of God? They should. That's our purpose. That's what we were created for. Just like last week, we looked at verse 10, that we are His workmanship. It's the same principle. He's building us. He's, he's drawing a picture, if you will. He, he's writing a poem. We're, we're a piece of art. He, he's working in us His purposes because we were created in Christ Jesus, our purpose for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Guys, we have a purpose. And, and yes, specifically, it might be different for, for each one of us in the sense that maybe you're called to work with kids or, or maybe you're called to be a missionary or a pastor or maybe you're called to um, you know, make a lot of money so that you can give money to the things of God. We all have different purposes. But generally speaking, we have one purpose, and that is to glorify God, and are we doing it? Do people look at our lives and say, that person knows Jesus, and I can see him in him or her? It's very evident. Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com or if you would like to write to us you may do so at P.O. Box 378 Prineville, Oregon 97754 Thank you for listening and God bless.